um if you can set your timer i'll do it it's up to okay. you my darling nope, i got it i got thank it. you as okay, long as you everyone. feel comfortable okay over okay to you. cool we'll just kind of let god take over i'm jen i'm an alcoholic um my sobriety date is september 11th, 2013. I have a home group, which is in Brentwood, Tennessee. We meet every day at one o'clock. So if you're in the Nashville area, please come see us. We have a great meeting. Um, Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's big book or 12 and 12. And the rest of the time is mostly topic discussion meetings, but we do have on Friday, Saturday, and Sundays, it's newcomer meetings. Um, I have a sponsor. She's in the room. Wave, Christy. And I sponsor people. Those three things are staples in my sobriety that help me stay sober. Um, all right, let me qualify myself. I get 50 minutes. This is awesome. This is so much more like the meetings in America than in UK because normally I only get 20 minutes and I have to try to jam everything I've screwed up on in 20 minutes. So um, I had my first drink at 14 years old in the parking lot of my high school, which for you Brits is, I think, called upper school. It was, um, I'm the middle child. I have an older sister and a younger brother. And my older sister in my little middle head child head was beautiful. And I was just okay. And my brother was the boy. So I sort of disappeared. I wasn't, I didn't have, you know, and so my sister is dragging me to this dance. She's a sophomore. She knows everyone. She's pretty. She's popular. And she says, I have to go because, see, that's what you do. And I didn't want to go. But I went and there was wine in the backseat of that car. And I just chugged away. And I, I found liquid courage that day. I still can feel it going down. You know, it burned. But the effect, I loved it. I loved it. And I didn't know it at the time, but that was my first spiritual experience because it changed the way I felt. You know, I, I became something different. I became a girl who wasn't scared to go inside that dance and see boys and, and talk to boys and, and, and talk to other girls. And, and I wasn't afraid. So my running shoes went on that day. I found liquid courage and I chased that feeling for the next 28 years. Did every social occasion include alcohol? No, but I wanted it to because it made it easier to not be me. Um, I, there was, that was high school. I drank all through high school. Um, there was no money to go to college right away. So I went to work at the Chicago Board of Options, which was a train ride away every day. And I still was drinking, had a fake ID. There were many times that I'd end up on the on, on top of a bar dancing with all these girls and the bra would get thrown off. And, and I don't know how I made it back to the train without being harmed in some way, but I did. Um, ended up going to college after I earned some money. Um, I think I was about 21, almost 21 when I met... Um, who was going to be my future husband and as I was starting college. So I was starting college dating this guy and I had all my balls in the air of who I thought everyone, who I should be for everyone else. Um, dated him all through college, got my first job. And, and for him, he wasn't one of us. He was very driven, very, his, his addiction was work and making money. And, and he did it with 
every fiber of his being. And I was just who we had time for on the, on the side. And so I tried to twist myself into being what he needed to be. And alcohol helped me do that and helped me be whoever he needed me to be. Um, because he, alcohol didn't, it allowed me not to be me. And I didn't know any of this at the time. I just know that I liked that alcohol stopped the squirrels from running in my head. And <clears throat> I am drinking in secret because, like I said, he doesn't drink. So all my drinking usually happened before he got home and or before I went and saw him or in the car ride to drive him. I can remember so many times like having three or four beers as I'm driving to see where he's at. And, um, so always drinking, um, always part of my story, um, have a master's in education and I was a teacher and I taught school, um, you know, that I taught school. And so um, Brian and I were dating and that's my ex-husband's name and he was living in Kansas and I was living in Illinois and I graduated and I moved to Kansas. We weren't married or engaged yet. And I moved to Kansas and literally got a teaching job. And my very first day I came home from teaching and he got transferred back to Illinois. So I stayed that school year in Kansas and he was back in Illinois and we were planning our wedding. And I would come home from school every night. There's no one in the house. There's no, no social occasion there that I, I would need alcohol, but I, I had at least a six pack every night or four or five margaritas. You know, I wasn't really into wine at that time. It was a, a bucket of margaritas that you'd stick in the freezer or beer. And I would drink every night when I was alone. And it didn't dawn on me that, you know, there was no social reason to do it, but I still did it. And um, we got married, um, got my master's degree before I had children, um, actually finished my master's degree, pregnant with my first child. And as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I stopped drinking completely cold Turkey. No, nothing. Cause I had had enough information about fetal alcohol syndrome that I wasn't going to drink during my pregnancy. And through the inventory process and looking back on that, that wasn't me being any kind, you know, I, I was putting the baby's needs in front of my own. God was giving me that power not to drink. It didn't come from me. It was because I was putting someone's needs in front of my own. And I, I gave birth to a sweet, fat little Buddha in May of 2002 and in 2004, I, I, I had my sweet little Alyssa and didn't drink during either of those pregnancies. And because I nursed Will almost a full year, I really didn't drink between the two kids. So by the time Alyssa was five months old, I was raring to go. I needed a drink so bad I couldn't even explain. So I stopped nursing her at five months and, and, I, and I started. And for the next eight years, it was a, a where it says in, in our book that, you know, it's a progressive disease. I, I can, I can raise my hand and say, yes, it does. Cause it came on hard and it came on fast. And it, I, I found white Chardonnay at that time and, and I couldn't get enough of it. I could not get enough of it. I mean, I, I lied and manipulated 
all the time to get my drinks because see, he would, my my ex-husband didn't want me drinking and he would, you know, I had to hide it. So I had to skim money off of every shopping trip so that I could buy my booze and cash. And I knew I had to get to the liquor store on Tuesdays because they sold their cases 15% off. And then I had to get it home and I had to get it hid in all the hiding places. And, and I used to put one bottle of wine in the fridge because you see, if I only put one bottle in, I would only drink one. That's what I would tell myself every single time. And the thing is through the inventory process, I knew I had the allergy because my sponsor made me inventory what I did when that first bottle was gone. If you were, you know, what did you do when the first, you only wanted one in the fridge because you only wanted one cold. What'd you do when the first one was gone? And I said, I drank it warm. I didn't care. She's like, that's because you triggered the allergy. And so that she, she helped qualify me. And, um, and, and I was also the kind, I, like I said, I liked it cold. So I used to fill my wine glass about this much, you know, the real tall, pretty ones that, you know, make you look fancier than you are. I, I had to have those. And, and I would fill this much of wine in the wine glass and I'd stick that wine glass in the freezer. So later that night, when I poured liquid wine onto the wine ice cube, it would stay cold. And I didn't want watered down wine. So my ice cubes were always made out of wine. So that wine would melt into wine. I thought that was genius. But to be honest with you, regular people don't do that. They really don't. So, and I mean, and just because I have so much time to, to share, I would, you know, how I said when the first one was gone, I wanted the next one. Well, I was drinking the warm one while there was a, a, a third bottle hidden in the freezer. So it would chill down faster. And then the, the warm one, I would only have to drink one glass one. But do you know how many times I've passed out before I got to the one that's in the freezer? And the next morning I'd wake up and there'd be a shattered wine bottle in my freezer that happened many many times so full-blown alcoholic driving around germantown tennessee with my kids in the car drunk a lot um my i didn't learn this until i did my ninth step but my my eight-year-old used to get into the car after cheerleading practice and say is it good mom tonight or bad mom tonight the first time i heard that i i i i, I couldn't handle it and I was only about 10 months sober when I heard that. And I can say it to you pretty flippantly because we've we've healed. But I'm telling you, I will never know. And I heard this at the meeting I went to, Ash was speaking at just before this. My children's memories are my blackouts. Like I, I will never know what my alcoholism did to my kids. I'll never know. I'll never know how scared they were when I couldn't speak coherently. When I was stumbling around the house or when I was raging at their dad on the phone because he was not home yet again. And see, he wasn't, he, he, he was escaping into his career and his job. Do you think maybe I had something to do with that? Like who the hell would want to come home to me? And so my bottom was, um, September 10th, 2013, it was a Monday night. And see, Monday nights were like golden for me because he's a workaholic and, and he'd be gone from work for two days in a row over the weekend. Sometimes he went in, but he usually didn't get home to around 10 o'clock on Mondays. 
And so I got the kids fed and I got them settled. And I went back into my room with my big glass of wine with the wine frozen ice cube. And it was sitting on the nightstand and I had my laptop on. And I was just going to go start scrolling through Facebook and see what kind of trouble I could get into. And I passed out early. I don't, I, I, I didn't, I don't know why, but that night I did. And that's what he walked in on. The wine is still on the nightstand. The computer's on my lap and I'm sexing the guy I just had an affair with. That's how he found me. And he shook me awake and he, he's, he's yelling at me, who the hell is this guy? And, 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 I, and I literally sobered up like that and, and I started the lies and I started running and I started hiding. And, 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 and I, I panicked. I, I, the fear that was on me was, I, you know, I always say that the fourth horseman came to me that night because I lived with the other three for years, but terror came that night. And I, I could not explain to you how, how scared I was. And he told me, he's like, you're going to have to stop this drinking crap or I'm taking your kids. And so the next day was the, the, the cleanup, like trying to hide and shove and, and lie and manipulate. So he wouldn't really know. And he got me a, a, an appointment with a psychiatrist who was going to fix me in secret, you know, knowing what I, I could, I'll let him fix me in secret and, and, and I'll, and I'll, you know, I, I, I'll get, I'll get back to good and, and I'll divorce him and I'll go live with the guy who, who I had an affair with you know, something along that line. I don't even know if I got that far in the planning. I just needed to get back to good. And, and so I went and saw the psychiatrist and I know this is going to shock you, especially you alcoholics in the room, but everything out of my mouth to that man was a lie. (laughs) I might have a, a couple glasses two or three times a week. Oh, I only go on Facebook to, to share pictures of my kids, you know, that, that crap came out of my mouth. And the thing is, this is how amazing my God is. Cause that man had 25 years of sobriety and he could see right through me. And he said he wouldn't see me again until I started going to AA. <clears throat> so the next morning I was in, in my very first AA meeting and it was a Wednesday and my home group in Memphis, Tennessee met Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays at noon. And I picked this meeting, not because I heard anything about it or not because I thought it was going to be a good meeting, but because it was in the middle of the day and I wouldn't have to tell anyone I was going. I could do it while my kids were at school. And I went to that meeting and I'm telling you, I had my second spiritual experience that day. It was amazing. I fell in love with y'all the very first meeting. I was scared, like scared. I didn't understand the language and you, we all do speak a language and I didn't understand it, but, but I was home and I was home, not because of what you said, but because of how you made me feel and you made me feel safe because you were talking about everything I was trying to hide. I didn't get it because see, my whole life was a secret and a lie. And, and you were, you were laughing and you were safe and, and you were talking about all my ugly and you weren't ashamed of it. And I was so slimed with shame, so slimed with shame. 
And there was a woman towards the end of that meeting, because see in America, for, for a newcomer meeting, they, they read a little bit of page 30 at my home group. And then the, the whole meeting is, if it's a woman that's a newcomer, a lot of women share and they share how they got into the room. And if it's a man, then, then the men share. And so there was a woman at the end of the meeting and she talked about the men. She talked about the affairs. And I, I, I had no clue how she was talking about it. Because I'm telling you, I, I, I told you about my affair pretty easily, but it, it's taken a long time to talk about it pretty easily. You know, I, I got asked to share for the very first time um, one year sober, and I didn't, I didn't talk about it from the podium. I don't think I talked about my affair from the podium until I was almost three years sober. My sponsor knew. I wasn't going to tell her, but she knew. And so I came, I came into AA and I loved it from the very beginning. I wanted what you had. And so I had that willingness. And, and I, they, they told me at that meeting that they, there's another meeting in town that also meets on Tuesdays and Thursdays at noon. So I had meetings Monday through Saturday set. And I went Monday through Saturday. I took Sundays off, but I went Monday through Saturdays. Gosh, probably first five years of my sobriety, every chance I could get, you know, and, and sometimes more than just that. And I became part of, I got in the middle of the herd. I sat all the way down and I let these women wrap their arms around me. And they did. Very first meeting, I got taken out to lunch. I didn't get asked. I, I was told we're going to lunch. And we sat around a pizza place in Memphis and we shared drunkologues because they knew that's all I could hear. All I could feel comfortable with were junk logs. And so if you're new in this room, I hope what I've just shared with you was my junk log that you can, you can. And for what I'm going to share now, hold on. Because you'll understand after you do it. And so my sobriety, my, my journey in sobriety started. And I went to, like I said, I went to those meetings and, and I didn't understand at first I literally didn't understand because see, I came into AA with a set of beliefs and you had a completely different set of beliefs. And so for mine to get untangled, to take on yours, it's going to take time. And I was willing to give the time because see, every time I went to a meeting, when I left, I felt a little bit of the puzzle of Jen because it was right now in a big pile of loose pieces and it made no sense. After each AA mini, a little, that puzzle was put, put together a little bit more of who I am and how I feel and that I'm a precious child of God. Um, my first sponsor was the woman that talked about the men in, in my very first meeting, but our schedules didn't work. We, we, we didn't have a fight. There was no drama. Our schedules didn't work. So I ended up asking another woman and, and she was very hardcore, very, very much a, a big book thumper. Um, and she had courage. And I, at that time in my life, I didn't have courage. She wasn't afraid to speak her mind. And, and she, she was very strong-willed. And she took me through the steps. We met once a week. And I didn't negotiate that time. And, and I remember the very one of the very first times we were supposed to meet, I canceled five minutes before I was supposed to meet her, swear to God. And if you knew my sponsor, you would realize you didn't do that to Marie. But I did. Because see... I had a set of beliefs and my set of beliefs was if you got a better offer, you called your friends and said, hey, I can't make it. And she very gently sat me down next time she saw me and she said, we don't do that. Women in AA have integrity and we say what we mean and we mean what we say. 
We don't say it meanly, but you made an appointment with me and I changed my schedule and you can't just cancel last minute. That's rude. That's, we don't do that. So I learned that. I learned that, oh, wait, something I did might affect someone else. First lesson. And, and, and then we started going through the steps. And I'm going to tell you, honestly, I, 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 I am not an expert in AA in any way, shape or form, but I'm an expert in my recovery. I, and I love that because I went to Blackwood Blackpool today and, and the, the gentleman who had 58 years of sobriety shared that. He shared that he is not an expert in AA, but he's an expert in his own recovery. And I can say that. I know my recovery. Can't tell you yours. That's between you and your God and probably your sponsor. But Marie took me through the steps and we, we read each page of that book. And I'm a reading expert. That's my degree. And it's, it's not the easiest book to read. Will is, Bill is a very wordy author. So if you're new, you don't feel like you're, you're losing it if you don't get the book. Read it with someone who lives the book and they'll help you understand it. And she did. She was very good at helping me understand it. I knew I drank too much. Didn't truly get the powerlessness thing, but she didn't keep me stuck there. She knew that I knew that I drank too much and that my life was unmanageable. Okay, yeah, my life was unmanageable when I got drunk. Okay, that's all I could see at that moment. She didn't get me, she didn't let me sit in that stuck. Came to believe that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity. I didn't know I was insane. I just thought I drank too much and I was married to a jerk. That's what I thought my insanity was. And see, she wasn't going to sit there and argue with me because she, she knew I was still blocked. One of the things she had me do, because I don't know about you, but I was one of those alcoholics that loved to complain about everything in her life. Still can do it. My sponsor's on here. She'll tell you, I can still like to complain about my life, but in the beginning, multiply it by 500. And so my sponsor had me get a, a shoebox and write the word God on top of it. And she said, I want you to put everyone in your life on a little index card, a little three by five card and put them in that box. And then take that box and put it at the top shelf of your closet, closest to God in your house you have to do it upstairs, do it upstairs. She's like, they're no longer yours to worry about. I don't want to hear about them. We're going to, we're going to deal with you. And so every time I called her and, and I, and I complained about someone in my life, because she told me to call her every day and what I'm going to tell her, because all I know is I've got to complain about something. And she's like, put them back in your box, put them back in your box. We'll talk. We'll, we're going to get to it put them back in your box. And so what I didn't realize was that was perfect for me because see, she was setting me up to, to, to rev me into the fourth step because she wouldn't let me sit in my junk. She wouldn't let me sit in my mud puddles. She kept telling me, give them to God, give them to God. And so that, I, that you know, the third step made a decision to turn my will and my life over to God. All I wanted to do was stop drinking. I, I, I didn't know what that meant. But, but she gave me the instructions in the fourth step. 
And I, I'm a, I'm a procrastinator. Like that is a character defect. And so, and it is in my sponsor too. So she, she gave me two weeks to do the four step. That's it. Two weeks. And this might shock you, but the day before I'm supposed to do my fifth step, big chunk of my four step was getting written. You know, I, I didn't gradually use those two weeks. You know, I'm a, I'm a 51 percenter. So she's, comes to my house and we kneel in my kitchen and we said that there's a prayer and we got to it. You know, I had to do my four step in columns, like it says in the book, but I was ready. Cause see, she told me I, I, I got to get the God box out and I had to list all the people that I had a problem with all of them. First column. Cool. People, places, institutions, what I was angry at, what made me mad. Second column was why finally, Finally, I get to tell her why I'm angry at all these people. And she wasn't going to stop me. But there was a kit. There was a kit. Because see, if you look in the big book, the column two is 19 words or less. She, she said, if Bill Wilson doesn't get more than 19 words to complain about the people on his example, you neither do you. So I had to do bullet points on the second column. And then the third column was what, how it had affected me. What it, did it affect in me? And then she said, babe, we're gonna do the fourth one together. See, the fourth column for me, for my sobriety was an enormous turning point. Cause see, I went into that, I did that work with this thinking, the thinking that happens in my brain, how I saw life as it was at that moment. And the moments that led up to it, I didn't have any other experience to look at that those situations, and see the fourth column when done with a sponsor. In my experience, is miraculous. It's a turning point because see, the fourth column makes the second column kind of untrue, or it turns you and gives you a new perspective that you didn't have before, which will lead to compassion and empathy, and, and, a, and a love and forgiveness that you now have the power to do. And that, that's my experience. Because see, all the things, you know, that I didn't like about the people that I wrote on that list, she, she's like, perhaps, maybe, could you see it from this angle? And of course, I mean, I'm not human. I'm not an, you know, I'm just human. And, you know, I argued with her for some of it, but we talked it through. And, and, She's like, I don't know if, if that my idea is true or not, but could it possibly be? Could that person have a story you know nothing about? And that's why they acted that way? And so it opened that door to grace. And I got free. And those people didn't have to own me anymore. Now, my ex-husband is a little different. I will say that we've done more extensive inventory on him later but that first one it, it, it opened that door to grace and I started to see maybe this God thing really does work maybe this power will help me through all of this stuff and maybe if 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 just enough just enough so we finished the fifth step and and while we were doing the fifth the fourth and fifth steps, she was, she was writing down the character defects as we were going through and I was learning them. And so for six, entirely ready. Well, yeah, 
I just, I just listed and, and got a big chunk of fact-finding, fact-facing things about me. And they're not all good. So of course I'm entirely ready. I want, I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an asshole. You know, I want to be a good person. My head thinks I'm a good person at all times. So after the fourth and fifth step, when I realized that I'm not, I, 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 I'm entirely ready. But what at that time I really don't have experience with is truly surrendering to God. Because see, I'd never done it. I knew I didn't want to drink, so I did have that hook. I hadn't had a desire to drink. Mine was removed really quickly. So there was just enough of a mustard seed trust in this God to give him seven. Humbly ask him to remove them. And that was enough in the beginning. And, and, and through my years of sobriety, I have an even stronger understanding of six and seven in that not every piece of me is bad and not every piece of me is good. And I made that way on purpose because it's up to God what gets, what stays and what goes. Because the removal of these character defects aren't so Jen's life becomes super easy. It's so be, I can become maximum service to him and his, my fellows. See, I'm not in the seven step prayer. The seventh step prayer is just I'm offering myself good and bad to God so that I can become of maximum service to him and my fellows. Not so my life can get easier. And I lived for a really long time thinking that these character defects were going to go away and my life was going to get better and I would be happier. That's not the point. The point of getting rid of the character defects is it's why I'm more useful to everyone around me. And, and that anchored the idea that I am selfish and self-centered to my core. And then eight, entirely ready to make amends to everyone. And I was, I was, I didn't want to because I'm a big scaredy cat, but I was ready. And, and, and we made index cards. Again, my sponsor liked index cards and, and I had the pile that I was going to do and the pile I was going to, that I didn't really want to do, but I was going to do. And then we had the pile that maybe. And then we had the pile that if I did, that would harm someone else. And so obviously my ex was on in the pile that I was going to do right away. And she knew me. She knew how much of a victim and how much I had the capacity to turn around and blame him for everything. So we rehearsed that amends. She came to the house and we role played. Because she wanted to make sure that I did not justify or argue about anything he said to me. And he did. That's the that was the day that I learned about what my daughter said and he didn't hold any punches. He shared a lot of things that I did while drinking that really hurt him. But I needed to hear him. Because again, you don't I just I just finished this amends process or this inventory process in the 6 and 7 and and I just Ask God to take all of me, and I don't want to be that person anymore. So when he shared those things to me in that ninth step amends, I got to become more willing to not be that person. And, 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 and steps 10, 11, and 12 are the staple of my sobriety. 
and 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 it's grown so much. It didn't start. I I didn't start with the prayer and meditation practices I have today at nine years sober when I was newly sober. One of the things my sponsor said to me from the very beginning, before we started any steps, it was our very first time having coffee together. And she said, I want you to get a prayer chair. I said, a prayer chair? What the hell is a prayer chair? And, you know, thinking I was being funny and flip it. And she's like, Jennifer, you have chairs in your house, don't you? And I said, of course we have chairs. She's like, pick one, sit in it every morning. I want you to get a notebook from the dollar store, a pen and your daily reflections. And I want you to sit in that chair every morning. I want you to read your daily reflections. And I want you to write a little note to God every day, asking him to help you stay sober. And, and I, and I'm going to tell you with all honesty, I'm arguing with her in my head. Most things my sponsor said to me in the very beginning of my, well, still can, I can still argue with my sponsor in my head today, but I have learned to quiet that, that arguing voice because it's never, ever right. But when my sponsor would tell me to do something when I was newly sober, I'm, I'm arguing with her in my head. I don't know about you, but in you're arguing with someone who's talking to you, you're not really listening to them. So I don't argue with people in my head today because I want to hear what they have to say. And, and I didn't hear what her, she had to say a lot of times because I'm arguing with her in my head. So guess what? I kept screwing up. I kept doing the same mistake over because I'm not really learning from it because I'm too busy arguing with her in my head instead of just doing it. And saying, God, I don't want to do this. I don't know why I'm doing this, but please show me, which is what I do now. Because there's still things I don't want to do, but I do them anyway. And I ask for grace and and I ask for God to show me why I need to do this. Because I don't know about you, but I am my biggest problem today. And I came into Alcoholics Anonymous thinking everyone else was my problem. My problems are of my own making. And I, I believe that that lesson still hadn't fully been learned until this past Christmas. Cause see, I was in, in the UK for Christmas and it was my first Christmas in person with my, my partner, Ash. And, and I, and I had this expectation. It was going to be this wonderful, and it, and it wasn't what I thought it would be. And, and in a true alcoholic fashion, I got real quiet and I just forced my way through it and, and, and not knowing that I was giving off such an incredible, terrible vibe to everybody and that, and they didn't know how to handle me. And we got in a wicked fight and I went home to America, just got on a plane, took off like a little two-year-old and, and he could see it and I couldn't. And, and I spent... I don't know, a week, 10 days, just listing all the things he had done wrong over and over and over again. And do any of you remember how I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous listing everything my my ex-husband had done wrong? (laughs) Was there, was there any growth there? (laughs) So see, cause I, and none of it, he's allowed to do whatever he damn wants he's his own person my problems are of my own making 
always of my own making. And I got to do inventory and I got to call my sponsor and I got to sob with her and she got to listen. And she's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> she got to point out what I couldn't see. That's recovery. And I'm free of that. And I came back and we had, well, we haven't had a fight since. Have we? Have we? No. Yeah. So the, the, that, you know, if I'm willing to grow. So I told you the prayer chair, what that was. So five minutes in my prayer chair, that's how my, my prayer and meditation life started. And, and, it, and, it, and I started to dig it. I started to like how I would feel after I would spend that time with God. So I kept doing it. And, and, I got a couple more meditation books and, and, you know, I got a fancy pen and, you know, I'm, I'm, I got candles and I'm growing my spiritual morning practice. And I was probably about, I don't know, a year and a half, two years sober. And, and I, I don't know, I was, I guess I was bringing a lot of stuff to my sponsor and all this stuff I couldn't control. And, and I was complaining about, and so she asked me, she said, she's like, let's tell me about your morning time. What does your morning time look like? And I told her, and, and I think at that time I had up to 10 books I was reading in the morning and, and, and the candles. And I was making more of the routine than the actual spiritual quiet time with God. And so she starts laughing. She's like, two books, two books. And then I want to see your journal. Show me your journal. And so I showed her my journal and she's like, wow, she's turning in, she's reading it. She's like, Jennifer, these are beautiful prayers. Where the hell are your thoughts? She pulled her bag out and she got her journal out and, and she's reading and I'm going to paraphrase. She's like, dear God, if David leaves that gas can in the garage for one more day after I've asked him for four days in a row to remove it, I will kill him. She wrote it in her journal. Please save me from me. She's like, that's what I want to see in your journal. She's like, where are you taking this chaos that runs through your head? And so I started adding things like that to my journal. Because if I'm going to build this relationship with this power, why am I not sharing every single piece of me with him? So I started to do that. And then about two years after that, again, She's asking for an inventory of my morning meditation time. And, and, and she's like, how's your morning meditation and prayer and meditation? And I'm like, Marie, you know, my prayer and meditation time is wonderful. And I've, I've always shared it with you. Blah, blah, blah. She goes, all right, tell me what it looks like. And I told her, and I said, I have coffee with God. And I write in my journal and I'm only reading two, maybe three meditation books in the morning. And, 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 you know, and she's like, okay, how's your meditation time? Oh no, Marie, I, I, I really, you know, the kids are sometimes around and I, I really can't get still or quiet. And I don't, I don't really, I don't, she's like, honey, it says prayer and meditation. It doesn't say prayer or meditation. It is, it, it, it's not, if you can do it, it's the 11th step. She's like, I want you to add one minute of meditation every morning. No excuses. One minute. And then in about a week, we'll add two minutes. And that's how it started. And now I, I, I literally cannot function without meditating at some point. I, I'm not as stringent because, again, I said I've made every mistake. I can't get stuck in the routine. 
And if something comes in front of my prayer and meditation, then I got to make time for it later because life happens. And I'm not going to punish the people in my life because they need me at the time I think I should pray and meditate, you know, because I've, I've been known to get into prayer and meditation, especially in the beginning. And when my kids were little, the kitchen was sort of an open kitchen and and they were up in the upstairs and I could hear them. And I remember shouting upstairs, I'm praying here. Hello. There's nothing spiritual about that. You know, and I can remember going home and helping my mom who was having a pacemaker and, and, and I got her all settled on the couch. And I said, mom, I'm going to go in the living room and, and do about 20 minutes of meditation. I'll have my headphones in. And she's like, okay, okay. I'm going to lay here. And so I went into the living room and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm really peaceful and I have my headphones on and, and she comes and she starts shaking me and I'm like, what, what, what's wrong? She goes, the garbage man's here. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm so self-centered. I, I want to shake my mom now and say, did, did you just interrupt my meditation and tell me the garbage man's here? And literally I, I didn't. And, and, and I said, okay, okay. Do you need help getting back to the couch? And, and, and I went for a walk later and I put headphones on while she was napping. And I was listening to a speaker named Peter M and it was on step 11. And he almost immediately said, don't get stuck in the routine. God's going to show up, but you can't, you can't make time for God and then punish people because you're trying to make time for God, you know? And, and so sometimes my meditation is how I behave in the morning because we got to get the girls to school or, or I've, you know, something's happening, you know, I try to keep it organic. I try to, to let the spirit guide it, you know, and I'm very grateful for the, the quiet times I do have. And, and, and step 12, gosh, I've made every mistake in that area too, but I'm still trying. I'm still trying. And, um, you know, I've had a ton of sponsees. I've had no sponsees, you know, I, I've, you know, the sponsor who took me through the steps, we, 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 we broke apart, you know, about two and a half years ago, I was going through a messy divorce and fifth step information got shared. And I don't know who said what, and, 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 you know, I, I, I started working with my new sponsor and this is how amazing my God was. Cause at the time I started working with my new sponsor, I was so broken. I was so broken and I was so tired of everyone telling me what a piece of crap I was. And all she did was love me. And and she told me, I'm never going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you how to find God. And I needed that because see, everyone else in my life was telling me what to do. And and when they're telling me what to do, they're becoming my God. Because see, I'm not turning to God, I'm turning to them. And, and it says in the ABCs, no human power. And that means AA sometimes, you know, because I can honestly say that I made AA my God. And then there was no God. And, and that's why this is, that's why AA's book is so important. And so and to know it backward and forward, because Bill even says there'll come a time when and no human power, that we will have no mental defense against the first drink. 
And so we have to have that defense has to come from a power greater than ourselves. And so when my world exploded two and a half years ago, and my daughter found out about my affair that I had before um, I got sober, um, and she she just she looked, and my daughter and I were like thick as thieves, and she looked at me, she goes, I don't even know you. I can't even stand to be in the same room with you, because she learned that information. It broke me. I didn't want to drink. Not one part of me wanted to drink, but I wanted to die. I literally had not had pain like that ever. And I felt lost and I felt alone, but I curled up to bed that night and then I just cried and I said, God, take me because I don't know what to do. But the thing is, is that I turned to God. He was my solution and he's still my solution. And he got me through that. And the thing is, he got me through that and I did the principles of the program and I did all the steps that I needed to. And, and in hindsight, when I look back, it had to happen exactly as it did. Just like nine years before when my ex came home early that night, it had to happen that way. Even though it hurt, it had to happen that way. And I only ever see it when I look back. And see, I have to do the inventory and all the steps and all the surrenders and all the process to be able to look back. And I get to do that. AA has taught me how to do that. And I get to do it for every part of my life. And, and you know, on the way to um, Blackpool, we were listening in the car to Mark Houston, who I absolutely love, who strengthened my prayer and meditation. Because right in the middle of all that time, my sponsor was pushing me towards prayer and meditation. I listened to Mark Houston and I loved his passion because see, all I have to be is a hollow bone. And I love that in nine years sober, he had a mental breakdown and, and mine was at seven years sober. So I, I don't have to do the, these things alone. But he talked about how at nine years, he's in a, in a, in a sane asylum and he hadn't drank, but, you know, he finally said, okay, fine, God, I'll do the first 164 pages. I'll help all your people, all the people you want me to help. And I'll live my life as the 164 pages. You do everything else in my life. And his life became amazing. And so all I have to do the first 164 pages help his kids as best I can turn myself over to him and at all times and he'll take care of the rest and you know what when it works when I do that my life is amazing I literally have a peace and a joy that scares me sometimes and then my ego returns and I fight it and I figure out a way to mess it up like leaving the man I love to go home to to the United States at Christmas time, like a two-year-old. That's how my alcoholism shows up today. It doesn't show up in a drink. It shows up in me acting like a baby. And see, I I can forgive myself for that because I we grew we grew through it. It had to happen that way for me to see it. So to me, I don't have to fight my life today. I just have to continue surrendering it. Okay, that's it. That's all I got. Thank you, everyone.